Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 13th, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderbilt. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor here at Glen Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Next Level. Good hey. morning. Mm. How are we doing? Mm. Would Kansas City have won Good. that game yesterday? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if Mahomes remembered how to play football. Yeah. And he only forgot for like the last minute <laughs> of the that previous joke? game. Was that the uh, Peel? Was, I don't know if it's Key or Peel, but one of them made a joke. I, I, don't know, I don't know if that was the ESPY Awards. I don't know what it was in awards, whatever. And he made a joke. He, he showed a picture of like Tom Brady's outfit and it was all crazy. And he was like, you know, Tom Brady's outfit is, was so crazy. Patrick Mahomes saw it and forgot how to play football for a half Aww. and they showed and Kelsey was in the in the crowd and they showed him and he was just like, <laughs> like and, then, and then of course Chiefs Kingdom like blew up on Twitter like all mad I'm like come on it's a joke like <laughs> dude's a comedian did you guys enjoy the Super Bowl it was not that great of football I was happy for the Rams <laughs> I was happy for our first Stafford yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people didn't like because it, it seemed like the Rams kind of bought their team this year. Lifelong Lions yeah. fan over here. Got to see, you know, your quarterback 12 years uh-huh. in Detroit. Win it somewhere else. 0 uh-huh. 3 in the playoffs. Uh-huh. All right. More importantly, let's talk about the halftime show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's not. Let's move on I to. Know, I'm still shaking from our pre conversation. <laughs> so, just, just so the listener knows, there was a, a um, passionate pre-recording conversation about the value of the halftime show and who we celebrate in America. Who do we put on platform? Misogynists and pornographers and or and I you know what? There you have it. Mm. I I was it's still it's still not a family experience. You can't say that was a family Gosh, no. When okay. was the last time it was Fair a family enough. experience? So is it not? Is it not I mean, no, something? No, seriously. Well, is it not something that we have the expectation that boys your age, you have elementary age children? Oh, we uh, turned it off. Okay, so yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. The, is it not the expectation that it children was at going? one point? It was it, like I what you. It was, right, it was right. like. I mean, that ship sailed was 10, it, 12 years like ago. A, wasn't there like a Paul McCartney a few years ago? Mm-hmm. That's like John? a decade probably Elton now. John? It feels like a few years yeah, ago. I where I mean, where he, it was like because it was really bad the year before, yeah. and then they like tried to the like... Line, the like line, a, a, the hard line happened with Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, that was, was it, I think it was right after that or something. Mm-hmm. That was the... It We're was like, it's like that's the hash mark of where... That actually changed a while ago, though. That actually changed... A lot of things. Mm-hmm. The yeah. delay now in live events yeah, yeah, is yeah. all brought on because of that. But oh gosh, dude, the, the Chief and the Chiefs Super Bowl. I was like, it, we're in Miami, and you've got Shakira and J Lo. Yeah. We are for sure not watching that. <laughs> like, oh, so interesting. Yeah, like, you for sure wouldn't have watched that, but you did. He you means watch? Well, as a no, family. as a family, oh, okay. I did watch it. <laughs> but as a family, I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. just yeah. gasoline on fire. That's yeah. going to be, you know. But you didn't have that same. I mean, I know you said you didn't watch it with the kids, but yeah, no. no, but you, but you <laughs> yeah, appreciated no. <laughs> the artistry of last night. Here we um, go. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, uh, I, I, I can appreciate the the art that has come through Dr. Dre mm-hmm. and th- from his upbringing in Compton mm-hmm. and like just his story of what he has become mm-hmm. and the people right. that he has brought up. Like, I can appreciate that. I can also appreciate his art as a musician. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are very few people anymore that perform at the halftime show that really actually have, for me, like good artistic merit. Mm-hmm. I'm completely separating what, what he's done. Who I don't he know is as a person. who he is. Yeah. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. um, I just know he's from Compton. Mm-hmm. He's from the streets. Mm-hmm. Like, like in that, and on top of that, uh, pretty much most of the music was like a soundtrack of my life. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that was going back to junior high, high school, college. Like, so it was like a trip down yeah. memory lane, musically yeah. speaking. Yeah. And so, yeah, know, that's like, the tension, right? It's very nostalgic. I mean, those were the songs that we danced to at prom in high school. Right. But yet I don't even, I don't, I wasn't paying attention to what they were saying and the lyrics that they were using 20 Mo- years ago. Most likely, you were listening to the radio version of all those songs. Yeah. The ones they got really popular, yeah. and they released all the radio versions. And yeah, but they were very so much different of the meaning the is still there. Yeah. yeah. Which is not what I'm in favor of. But I did, I did like that, at least visually, like you could just watch it and not 
see things that you don't want your kids to see. Wait, like, what? Uh, there was what? A, there was a, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? There was the middle section. shaking. <laughs> the fifty cent piece was a little. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the fifty cent piece was a little, a little. But I mean, compared One to man previous surrounded years, surrounded by thirty women shaking their booties. Yeah, I mean, compared to previous years, where it has been, the entire show has been that. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. for for most parts, it was pretty boring. For you know, like. And that's that's to be expected if you go to a rap concert. Like hey, it's here, different than going to a, my a band concert. Did you turn my, it off? No, I watched it so that I could <laughs> criticize it today. <laughs> Full of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Here's my concern. So America platforms these people, and um, in, by doing, we we inevitably affirm who they are or we say their art is distinct from their behavior and that's really dangerous character matters we all agree character matters so i i it's not serving america well to platform uh i mean snoop dogg is a a previously a pornographer uh, Dr. Dre has assaults, n- numerous assaults against women. I don't know who they are today. I just know that featuring their art in that forum sends the wrong message to undiscerning folks. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, you got here, um, uh, your art's amazing, will overlook your historic behavior and will give you Arguably, one of the largest paydays mm-hmm. our nation has. I, it's bothersome to me. I, we're just not serving <laughs> really? our nation. It's <laughs> shocking. Really? No, I, um, I, I just want to say one thing. Not that you're defending Dre, although you, you've noted how much. Growing up in Compton, his own life is probably filled with trauma and difficult over you know difficult situations how he's overcome a lot it's it is a story of what he's accomplished and overcome and used gifts that presumably he would say are from are from god to do what he's done to me that tension is um is he using what has he is he using his art to to better other people um, and encourage young people even today. So like he's, he's at the halftime show. So we, you'd think that young people would be watching. And that to me is where the tension is, is that he has actually, he has a story to, to share. He has probably, you can assume based on his, where he grew up and what he's overcome, that there's, there's a lot of trauma and experiential things that he's had to overcome. And that should be celebrated in the sense that it's now being used for good and for positivity, which is, I think your point, Kelly, is it just not, you know, it, it just, for me, it's, it's, it's so uh, difficult because it's living out in modern day. Like a lot of times we talk about like um, past, like, like presidents or. Yeah. So we have the perspective of distance over years. Yeah. You have distance over time and those sorts of things. But like, I mean, Dre gave like $70 million dollars charitably back to his neighborhood. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's like, what do we do with that? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Is he, you know, like how we, how we judge the character, like what do we, and then how, who do we platform? Mm-hmm. Who do we not? Who it's, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not, it's, it's a very, um, it's very difficult to watch, you know, somebody kind of play out mm-hmm. in real time yeah. and how much like like I know like the naming of buildings at a college nearby <laughs> has come up uh, as an issue because they named a building after somebody who was still alive mm. and was this great political figure in our country and then shortly after the naming of the building complete implosion mm. Yeah. From stuff that was came out in the past mm-hmm. before he became, and so they had to take the name off the building. They had to redo everything. And I remember there being a conversation of, let's only name buildings after either the location <laughs> where they are or people that are have passed yeah. away and everything. And then you go, well, actually, people that have passed away, things can come yeah. out later. And yeah. so the mm-hmm. the idea of celebrity of people and what do we. Yeah. dismiss in their past and what do we you know what how, you know where do where, how do we merit people or how do we i mean it's just 
It's it, really, really difficult. And I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I mean, there's, there's un, these unique venues yeah. where it seems like kind of the pinnacle of celebration of who we are as a culture. And, and for right or wrong, Super Bowl Sunday mm-hmm. and the halftime show like in particular no gets a ton of like, almost like, okay, that's who we are as America. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it kind of has that perception. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tricky, man. It's tricky to rock a rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) That's right on time. (laughs) It's tricky. Uh, And everybody has unique perspectives too. Like I, you know, I'm sure that there's people that are benefiting from the charitable work that Dr. Dre does. That are like, get that man up there more. Well, I would like to hear. And then there's people that are who who have been on the side of of the abuse and are saying, Mm -hmm. how on earth can you put that man up there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was pushing back on Kelly Hart. I hear Kelly what what you were saying earlier. I, I do, and you know, like I don't. No, we we didn't watch the halftime show for that exact reason. Of well, I I didn't know how risque it was going to mm-hmm. be. I thought mm-hmm. compared to previous years, mm-hmm. it was a lot. It was turned Agreed. down visually. Agreed. I would not. I wouldn't even let my boys watch with the with the volume down some of the past performances mm-hmm. because the entire thing was just. Mm-hmm. you know mostly naked women mm-hmm. and and this was not that m- largely i thought um but yeah i mean i would, I would love to hear like well, where they, where these guys are today they're all in their 50s like yeah. they're old men like if you Wait. there's probably <laughs> look you could go back i mean i'm I'm almost i'm creeping up right like you could go back on my life and and say th- a lot of the same things you could say about some of those guys last night. Like a, a major night. difference is where you are today. It, in your well, life. that's what I'm saying. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And I know Snoop has done some terrible mm-hmm. things. I don't know if he's still involved in it. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, he started a youth football league. Yeah. Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. I, you know, I know <laughs> they, they have mm-hmm. poured a lot of their money and resources back into the community. Mm-hmm. And then it's questionable how they got those resources in the first exactly. place. Yep. You know, some of the, uh, some of the pushback early on by like the PMRC, remember Tipper Gore and all that oh, stuff yeah. in the 80s and 90s was like, you know, you are exploiting black people to make yourselves rich. And, and the pushback from a lot of them was like, dude, we're, we are poets who are writing about what we see. Mm-hmm. And I, I see merit in that in some of their songs. And then in other songs, it's <laughs> yeah. like, no, you're just saying some crazy <laughs> yeah. stuff to get paid. Yeah. Um, but I would love to know where they stand today, what they've, you know, how, how they would speak mm-hmm. to the generation coming up you know, mm-hmm. who maybe want to follow in their footsteps and the mm-hmm. things that they might say they've mm-hmm. done right or wrong or whatever. I don't know. But um, but let's let's get into some questions, though. Let's do it. All right. Um, I appreciate your acknowledgement at the beginning of the sermon about how hard the last couple of weeks have been. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those who have really struggled to process the topic. It feels so emotionally charged to me, and I'm not the only one. I know a family that was considering leaving GEBC as a result, which made me wonder, when is it appropriate to consider changing churches? Love the question. I in, have fielded this question quite often over the last couple of decades. Let me start by saying that I don't think it's appropriate to leave a church because a topic addressed from the front feels emotionally charged. Hopefully, church is a place where we can have difficult conversations. We should expect from time to time that we're going to feel uncomfortable at church. So hopefully, we're not looking for a church to only make us feel comfortable or to confirm our biases. And I don't hear that in the listener's question. I'm not assuming that's the listener's perspective. But just I want to affirm the fact that I'm uncomfortable from time to time in in the church that I'm a part of leading, that there are people that challenge me. And that has actually been my experience over the last month as people have reflected on offered me their perspective so comfortability shouldn't be our goal Uh, second leaving a church should be done slowly and it should be more relational than transactional in other words don't let's not be consumers shopping for a product but rather let's be a family member looking to grow and contribute even Hmm. in departure even if we have disappointments that are leading to our dislocation, our departure. Too often, people view leaving a church like they might view changing gyms. So at a gymnasium, you've got one machine that's broken, it's driving you nuts, or you can't, it's too crowded, or, and that's a very consumer, so we're changed gyms, and you can change gyms in the course of a week. It, it should be more like, for us, changing churches should be more like selling your home which no one does that spur of the moment. Selling a home is, takes six months, takes a year. It, it's a, it involves a lot of conversation. In other words, 
it should be a process over time. Here's the truth. If you can leave a church in under a month, then you are not really attending that church. Or you are, when you say that, you mean... Here's what I mean. You're there, but you're not... You, you, you're you, attending, but you're not participating as a well, family it's, member? it's not really church that you were plugged into. Oh, interesting. So to leave a church means saying goodbye to friends. It means unplugging from fellowship. It means to leave a church for, for most of the people at Glowing Bible Church, to leave, they have to actually finish their service commitment. Like we have people that have signed up for volunteer for a, a semester or for nine month period, a school year. And so for them, they, they need to wait and this happens. People say, and people land here at Glowing Bible Church and they actually say to me, well, we're, we're checking out other churches, but we're having to finish up our commitment at our previous church. Man, I, I really mm-hmm. applaud that. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to leave sensibly. It should be slow, it should be relational, it can't really be done overnight if you've done church the way the New Testament requires that we do church. So if you're leaving slowly, if it's relational, then I think there are some things that, you know, if the theology is not orthodox, I think you can consider leaving. Um, How would you assess whether it's orthodox or not? And would that, would you, would you, uh, encourage an assessment over a period of time yeah so if if i one one kind of rogue sermon or something like even that, a month you, of sermons i wouldn't i wouldn't bolt so i i would i if you hear something that put that's in part why we started this podcast we want clarity and communication is difficult so if you hear something over a month or two months that you say oh my gosh that doesn't sound like trinitarian orthodoxy then you'll want to start asking questions of elders and the, and the preacher and say, hey, explain to me, that doesn't seem to line up. Or if the gospel, it seems like, wow, it seems like they're saying the gospel plus something, a behavior, or mm-hmm. then you, you want to investigate that. And so, yeah, I, I also, and here's, I actually think Orthodox Christianity, I mean, um, is fairly, we can investigate that, we can ask clarifying questions. Uh, philosophy is a little softer. I, I think it's okay to leave a church if you feel like their orthopraxy, their practice of their faith isn't um, biblical. So at Glowing Bible Church, we say we do four things. We proclaim the gospel, restore the broken, equip believers, and send out disciples. We have a thoroughly detailed philosophy of ministry. It's in that little book that we try to hand out weekly titled Following Jesus. We want people to know what we believe is the right practice of the right doctrines. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, right practice. And so if, if you're attending a church that stops praying or doesn't prioritize praying, or stops prioritizing um, reading from the scripture or teaching the scripture or doesn't place uh, evangelism, the primacy on evangelism. These are practices that stem directly from orthodoxy. Then I think you you could weigh over a course of six months, man, does this fit for us? Sherry and I were in a new members class when we were young married at a local church. It's a great church. And we were sitting in the new members class and he said here, the senior pastor said, here are the five things that make up our church. Three of the five had to do with the Holy Spirit. So their emphasis on the Holy Spirit, I looked to Sherry after the, the gathering, I said, I don't, I don't think three of five represents our philosophy of ministry as a married couple. And she agreed and we said, well, let's go look. And the next church we landed at was Glenelg Bible Church. And so I, I think... And we had zero of five. So it all <laughs> at that time. I'm, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, so lastly, I would say family needs. And I, I think we need to go to a church that's ministering to our family as a whole. Mm-hmm. And we get that often. We've had people depart because their kids weren't connecting. And we've had people arriving and 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 join us because their kids were connecting. And, and here, this is, this is really personal and practical. I think it's totally understandable. Parents have the responsibility for making disciples. And if you have teenage kids that aren't connecting at the local church for whatever reason, I could totally understand you saying, I'm, I've got to go where my kids are connecting. And I, because I, families have to worship together. Our oldest never attended and our oldest boy, Andrew, he's 25 now. He never attended, or virtually never attended youth ministry at our church. 
So we said to Andrew, well, Andrew, where are you going to go for your fellowship? And he found some other parachurch activities, uh, FCA, Young Life, and and so he grew in other ways. So it's, we've got to prioritize that as families. Those are my thoughts. What are y'all? I, th- I agree with you. What um, just practically? So if someone were in a place of saying, "Hey, I'm not," you know, what does that conversation look like with you? If somebody were to come to you and say, "Kelly, I've got these concerns." Yeah, I've got these concerns. You know, I feel like the philosophy of ministry is just you know, we're out of step now or we're looking for something different. And Yeah, so over the last, the reason this question comes up and the person says it is because over the last month there's been an, an emphasis, an emphasis yeah. on r- racial equality, which has ma- unnerved some people. And some people have said, hey, is this a newfound shtick for Kelly? Is, what, what importance is, is being placed on this? And we've, been tr- we've tried to be upfront that we, we, have a, we have a passion point about this it's going to fit within our other passion points. Uh, it's not going to take over the church. We're certainly not going to sacrifice the gospel. But I can ass- I can see how over the last month people could be saying, "Well, let's see." Is yeah, sure. And 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 so I fielded some questions from people and uh, encouraged people to to stick with us. And and the acknowledgement Sunday was, I get it. Some people have not identified with my perspective or even my passion for the topic or my application points. I got that. Um, so from, I welcome people come and say, hey, this seems out of balance or out of whack or... I think... Um, and yeah, I know the elders have been fielding some of those. Sure. Well. I, what I, get, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, so if somebody were to say that to you, is do you feel like it's your job to convince them to stay, mm-hmm. to encourage them to plug into another church? What's... Do you just... Do you yeah. cry? <laughs> I, I do not, as best I can, try to play the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We're, we're not the only church in town. DuPage County is a really fortunate place where there's, there are gospel-preaching churches all over the county, and so that's a, that's a real blessing. Unfortunately, it can lead to people switching churches every time they hear something they don't like or... Mm-hmm. Um, and some bouncing around, some musical chairs. And so we need to, we need to avoid that. Um, but no, I try, and I, I try to help people navigate. You know, I've, I've had people say to me, Kelly, you know, I don't like the singing. I can barely stand your preaching. Um, but this is my home. And I'm like, gosh. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> uh, that's a hard place to live. I mean, if you can't stand the singing and you can barely tolerate the preaching, it seems like... You, That's you, a big part of what we do. <laughs> right, on Sunday morning. <laughs> on Sunday morning. And, and so... So it's a we, balance. Yeah. You'll encourage people to, to get plugged in somewhere else, or you'll try to encourage them to stay to yeah. some normal. Yeah. Is one way to say it, leave slowly if it's a cultural issue, and leave quickly if it's a, a theologically orthodox issue? You could say it that way. I, I don't know that leaving quickly helps us. Well, like, but, but, but right. Quickly, but at the same time, if, talking six if months, I came like in tomorrow months? and you were like, Hey, you know, uh, we shifted our position on this and it was a major yeah, deal. Yeah, you know, like right. we're, we're not Trinitarian anymore. Right. Then I'd be like, then this <laughs> right. isn't the right. place for me. That doesn't but, take much. But right. The thing is, is can you think of, uh, and do you have, can you think of any examples where overnight a church changed a huge position like that. Yes, mm-hmm. I can. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, well, my point was going to be, I think yeah. most well, of the time you see it coming if something like that happens. Uh, it's usually, wouldn't it be a progressive kind of like... That's probably. Fair. Um, that's fair, you probably right? could look back and say, oh, I saw this, this, the this, this, on the this. Wall. Okay. Right, yeah. right, right. But, but yeah. do you, can you think of examples where a major doctrine has changed in, in what might have been overnight? That's it, pretty it, rare, I would think, but uh, I'm sure it exists. Hmm. But then if somebody were to do the autopsy on it, they might say, oh, no, we saw six months ago or yeah, five months ago. Yeah, 2020. Or, you know, so I, yeah. I, would, I, I want to be patient with each other. I want people to be patient with me. We're all in process. And so, I, I infer, in fact, if someone's leaving, I want them to leave in a way when they land at their next church, they're not a burden to that church. Meaning, I don't want to send out wounded people. Can I go back to when you said we're all in process? Yeah. (laughs) 
Let's You're be, worried. Let's be a little careful with. <laughs> I mean, we're all growing. That's a much better okay, way to sorry. say it, because there are things at Glen Allen Bible Church that are not in process. Yes, there's a lot that's not in process. There are Bible things Church. that are settled on that you can rest <laughs> assured in, learning and growing in uh, the cultural world that we're in, and yeah. it, you know, not everything is in process. <laughs> well, I those say are the it because things. some people can get unnerved by that kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know. Feel shaky. Yeah, like, oh, we're processing everything? Oh, well, those that, are the, that can be but exhausting. those are the things that Kelly's talking about that fall under orthodoxy, orthoproxy, yeah. right? Like, that's, um, those are those things. Yeah. All right. my, my big encouragement is enter the dialogue. If, if be you're relational, be go relational. slow, go slow, Let's enter talk. the dialogue, contribute to the church that you've been a part of, even in your departure. That's good. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. Um, God seems harsh in this morning's passage, at least at some points. As he sends Israel back into the desert, rather than taking them into the promised land, is he merciful or harsh? <laughs> I thought I was wondering if we were going to get this question. It's like, man, <laughs> right <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, man, I do not want to say God is harsh, but neither do I want to blow by the listener's feelings. Um, so we know who God is as revealed in Scripture. First John four eight. We know God is love. He's loving, even when he, which means even when he turns them back into the desert because of their disobedience, his goal is to care for them. In fact, he turns them back into the desert and he does it. He cares for them for 40 years, dropping food from the sky along the way. So he cares for them even when disciplining them. But that doesn't mean he never shows anger. He does. He's, he, was, he was angry and frustrated with their disobedience. So we, what we can say is God is both loving and he's righteous in his character, which means he's going to address sin. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, description of God, who God is in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and, se- six and 7, the Lord, the Lord. And then it, it, he, he describes himself, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's who he is. Yet, and so he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So he's both this loving and righteous God. And we need to, he's perfect in in that. I tried to point out God's grace Sunday morning when I said he's, it's not, he's going to take their children into the promised land. He's not rejecting the the whole community. He is going to discipline the parents who refuse to obey. Mm -hmm. I think you did a good job of pointing out what what is the target of God's harshness, mm. if we want to use the word that they used, or what is the target of when God's he's angry, wrath. And he and when, yeah, us. and um, the idea of of um, I mean, if you think about what's going on in the in the narrative kind of arch of of Scripture at this time, what God's doing in building a nation. I mean, the primary focus is this idea of of obedience. And so God's anger towards their disobedience, man, that it makes a lot of sense when you look and think about the whole process that's going on here and the, the primary um, desire of God to have uh, his children be obedient. Mm-hmm. And um, his, his wrath or his harshness pointed at not necessarily them and their because of who they were as individual people or something like that, but as a collective, Mm -hmm. their disobedience needed correction. Mm -hmm. I think that when we suffer the consequences of our sin, Israel refused to obey, so they're sent back into the desert. Anytime we we begin to absorb the consequences of our our sinfulness, it, it can be easy for us to lapse into thinking, God is being harsh with me. And... Yeah, and they, not even going into the desert, but just right before that, they go up and they get killed. Right. <laughs> they don't do well in <laughs> They don't the do well in battle, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother, yeah. you know, that, that's a, another act of disobedience with a real consequence. Um, and, I mean, the idea of going our own way without, you know, God, God being in it, and, and when we know that clearly and we decide to go our own way, 
there's consequence, right? Mm-hmm. God not ignoring our sin is mercy too, right? The fact that he, he acknowledges you have sinned against me. You were not obedient. There are consequences for that. It's, it, I, I think of, just think of my own little sinners that live in my house. Like if they didn't have consequences for choices that they made, how is that loving them and, and shepherding them? And right. um, it's, you know, there's, there's some similar parallels that, and God still provided for them. Mm-hmm. Un, like over and over and over mm-hmm. and over, even while they were in the consequential phase mm-hmm. of this journey. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I loved your moment on Sunday. I don't know if you did it. I just did it in second service yeah. where I stepped away from the yeah, moment. Yeah, and you said, spare us mm-hmm. the pain yeah. and the burden of disobedience, of disobedience yeah. and move us into the joy and the and the... Um, the experience yeah. of God that happens in in obedience. I talk like, about the easy yoke and the light burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not no yoke and no burden. Mm-hmm. Right. Following Jesus <laughs> is an easy, right. and it's easier right. than the sinful disobedience. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down. That was a good line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged by that. And the other thing that I took away in talking about obedience is that I shared a little bit with this to you already, but God isn't hiding from us. Like he's not like he's trying to say, figure out what the right thing is to do. And if you pick wrong, you're going to experience my harshness. I mean, right. he really wants like his, us being obedient to whatever he's leading us into or whatever the situation is, is for our good so that we can glorify him. And I, that was another one of my takeaways from yesterday is he's not hiding and making me guess which way he wants me to go. His <laughs> obedience is a blessing. That is where we will find God. That, um, anyway, so I thought that was really, I was really encouraged by that part of it as well. All right, let's go to the next one. How can we know if we have repented of sin? I'm one of those who is quick to confess and slower to obey. And when I do obey, it is often partial. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that's super common. I think obedience for many of us is gradual. It comes over time, particularly in areas of stronghold as we build strength to resist historic patterns of sinfulness. So, man, I I totally get this. So in Scripture, we're told that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So there's an appropriate sorrow. And and we're told that the the sorrow... um, produces, the repentance has clear indications that we are in fact repenting. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. And so I'll just read it. It says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And he's about to, he's about to give a little laundry list of the indications of repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. And so what Paul is saying is that they have had a change in lifestyle and a change in their interest um, to be obedient. They're they're interested. They have this increased earnestness, uh, an eagerness, uh, to clear themselves of historic wrongdoing. They have an in- indignation, an alarm about their own behavior and about the behaviors of sinfulness. They have a longing. What longing, he says. I, if you have no longing for, you know, to honor Christ with it behaviorally, you're probably not repenting. Um, so uh, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness uh, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so there, there are real indications, behaviorally, that we are repenting. How do we know if we're repenting? If we have an earnest desire, if we have a longing, if we have an, 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 an alarm at sin, uh, an indignation with it, um, if we're ready, eager to see justice done, these are indications of repentance. And, and I should say, re- remember that repentance doesn't save us. Rather, those who are being saved always repent. Repentance is a gift. It's something that God works in our hearts and minds. And so if you're concerned that you're not repenting, cry out to God and say, I want, I want to repent or I want to want to repent. And let God work that in your heart rather than... Too often, I think we, what we hear is we need to behave better. And... 
in order to be loved. And the truth is that when we see we're loved, we'll want to behave better. We'll want to honor God who is loving us despite our sinfulness. Yeah, I mean, I think about our, I think about kids mm-hmm. being a parent and, you know, when, the, when they say, I'm sorry, and sometimes when they say it real fast, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, you're just saying that, but you're not, you know, like, you, you know, as a parent, obviously God knows, but. Um, maybe we can put some of that own metric on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, think about how we are, how our kids are with us when we know they are not repentant. They may have said the words, but but they're not feeling it. They're not, you know, experiencing the repentance. I think that the parenting-child relationship was actually designed by God to help us understand our relationship mm-hmm. with Him. I mean, it sure are, helps a lot. You talk about a microcosm of what's going on uh, spiritually, eternally, universally. I mean, in last week's passage. He says, I carried you like a father carries a boy, his son. Yeah. And if you, you know, we're all children of parents. We all have parents. Some, um, you know, sinned against us. Some blessed us in their righteousness. I got it. There are no perfect parents. But at the same time, we all know that we have this longing to be cared for. Yeah. yeah I mean, how, how many times have you said something out loud? With like, with like force and passion and emotion. And then you walked in the other room and took the dagger out of your heart. And you're like, oh, gosh. Oh, that cut. That was for me. That wasn't for him. Right. Yeah, I hate when my kids tell me, I learned this from you. <laughs> well, don't do it then. <laughs> if you know where your source is. <laughs> Learn it from you, Dad. Oh, it int- hurts every time. All right. Um, it's int- yeah. yeah, yeah, no, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, tell us about verse 45. <laughs> verse 45? <laughs> oh my gosh, hold on, let me open my Bible. It's, it's in line with this. It says, you came back and wept before the Lord, mm. but what does God do? He pays no attention to your weeping, and he turns a deaf ear to you. Mm. Oh, that's so encouraging, John. Isn't Thank that you. Just a, I yeah. mean, it's, I don't mean to throw... <laughs> It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean... He paid no attention to your weeping. He turned a deaf ear to it. I mean, I've, we've, all, if you, we've all got kids. Yeah. We've, we, we know what crocodile tears look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I guess is, is this a reflection on the heart of Israel? Or is it a reflection on the, on person, the, of on God. the person of God? Let's <laughs> <laughs> not hope it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, I think it's he knew. I just, I'm trying to give myself a little comfort because often I'll say to my kids... I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but, and I love you, mm-hmm. but until your behavior changes, mm. yeah. I'm not going to know if your heart has mm. actually changed yeah. on the issue. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm not God, and I don't play God in the lives of my kid, I, kids, but it seems to me that, that, um, that uh, as, as we look at the character of God, that God is really serious about sin, disobedience, and the, the heart of the, of the mm-hmm. people or person. Mm-hmm. And I often think we miss understanding exactly why he's serious about it. He's serious about sin uh, primarily because it erodes his glory. It's out of step with his character. But he's also serious about sin because it's not in our best interest. And whatever's in our best interest is for his glory. And whatever's for his glory is in our best interest. He knows it's not in the best interest of the Israelites to let them get away with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to be moved by their crocodile tears. Well, this isn't mm-hmm. the first time. Right. And so well, like in the, your example, John, pattern, right? like how many, you didn't say that the first time mm-hmm. this issue came up. I right. would bet you didn't even say it the fourth or fifth time. Right. You know, like, because right. I've said very similar things, like right. with, with a reoccurring yeah. issue. It's just like, buddy, I, I do. I, I forgive you. Right. And I hear you. I'm ready for this to change. Right. And, I, and you, you need to be ready for this to change too. And yeah. Until it changes, it's hard for me to believe that you are really sorry yeah. at this point because it's right. gone on for so long. Right, right. Yeah. You're sorry. I, can't, my, I think it was my mom you say, you're sorry in your mouth, but you're not sorry in your heart. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's yeah. a good one. It's, good it's just one. interesting. The, 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 you could take this chapter, this verse, and you, if you wanted to do damage... Mm. Yeah. Potentially, because you know, because of you, God, the Lord became angry with me. <laughs> it's like having uh, a full understanding of the character of God, the the 
I think you said it uh, when you teed up the series. Uh, reading the Old Testament and understanding it is vitally important to understanding who God is and how he works. You can't just, because of these hard words, we can't just say, nah, don't read Deuteronomy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. you have to read Deuteronomy in the context of the cross, the cross, yeah, right. what God is doing in the lives of these people, how God treats a nation of people he's building versus how God deals with you as, a, as, a, as an individual. And I think it'd be you know, a little plug here for the John Greening's class on, on biblical genres because, did I say that right? Jean. Genre. <laughs> Give it a French. Well, <laughs> because I think understanding... Uh, mm-hmm. Genre, context, mm-hmm. how these books were put together, who put them together, why they were put together mm-hmm. under God's inspiration, and and all those sorts of things. Man, that's really important to understanding more of the character of God and, and what's going on. So, I read the the verse on Saturday, before the chapter, and I was like, man, <laughs> I thought you handled it. I thought you handled the text really well. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want to pause from our regularly scheduled programming and just bring some opportunities to your attention. We have upcoming, beginning in February, three really exciting uh, opportunities for connection. For example, the Be The Bridge book discussion. We would encourage you to consider signing up for Be The Bridge and being a part of the racial equality, justice, unity discussion. Go to our website to, um, to sign up. And then secondly, the meaning of marriage. It's a small group activity where you'd be connecting with others other couples interested in going deep in marriage discussion. So whether you're at the beginning of your marriage or you're uh, more seasoned like Sherry and I are, wherever you're at, this will help you strengthen your your thoughts about the value of marriage and your posture in marriage towards your spouse. I encourage you to be a part of that. And then finally, a Bible sampler. Uh, class being offered to help us understand better the genre of literature we're reading in the Bible. Remember, the Bible is a book of books, 66 different books, and there's history in there, there's poetry, there's prophecy. So when we discern what we're reading and understand what we're reading, we're better able to apply it to our lives. Go to glowonbiblechurch.org. The upper left corner, there's some, there's an icon called Your Account. Click on Your Account, and you can go uh, register for any or all of these opportunities for growth. All right, let's go to the last one. If we sinned in the past, but we have repented and have made significant progress in changing our ways, how long should we lament or grieve over our former sin? All right, so when I read this question, my heart was burdened thinking the listener um, could use some comfort. (laughs) So I don't know if that's how y'all read it. so the first thing that came to mind for me was, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It, the promise that when we mourn over our sin, that the God who Paul describes in Corinthians as the God of all comfort, he's eager to come in and, and care for us. Mm-hmm. So I, um, the first thing I want to do is kind of minister comfort. I, I'm not sure exactly how long we should lament or grieve, over former sin, I know mourning over sin is important because sorrow has a role to play in our salvation. Second Corinthians 17 says, godly sorrow brings repentance. So we want to sorrow and be sorrowful over our sin. Frankly, if you're never, never sorrowful over your sin, then you don't experience the comfort of God that's offered in Christ. Does that make sense? We, we all want to be comforted by our creator. We mm-hmm. long for that. Some people aren't experiencing comfort because they refuse to mourn over their sin. So if you're, if you're mourning, grieving, lamenting, man, I hope you're also experiencing some of God's comfort. I hope it's not just a, a deep sense of loss, but a confidence that God is going to overcome yeah. mm-hmm. any loss, any damage we've done to ourselves because of sin. There's a new creation coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, man, I mean, read the, that entire verse, that, that entire line there. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, mm-hmm. but worldly sorrow brings death. Yeah. And so there's probably work to do there in figuring out, um, you know, how long do I, I grieve and lament over former sin? Is, is, do, you, do you take 2 Corinthians 7.10 to be a timeline of sorts? Is this a progression? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's grief and lament, pre 
uh, salvation, maybe, and I'm using air quotes there, but then once salvation comes, and that could mean just receiving and, um, uh, yeah, receiving the the, uh, forgiveness and embracing it, after you're past that point, then is to grieve and lament an indication that you haven't received the salvation? Sometimes I have seen it as an indication people aren't enjoying the grace of God, the the way it's offered to them. They're stuck in kind of a a self... um, kind of they're they're torturing themselves with um their failures their sinful failures and they need some freedom they need some ministry of grace and comfort i i you read the whole verse godly sorrow brings a prince that leads to salvation and leaves no regret and man who of us doesn't have regret the the ministry of the gospel relieves us of our regret knowing that christ is making all things new and so i i don't know how long you experience that sorrow, I know there are a lot of people that beat themselves up over historic sin yes. and need the ministry of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's why we gather mm-hmm. a minimum of every Sunday. Frankly, we need the ministry of the gospel to us every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of um, the, uh, the idea of, you know, as far as the east is from the west, isn't mm-hmm. that's, that's Isaiah. So long, or is it Isaiah? Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then in Psalms, or Psalm, Psalm in the book of Psalms, uh, 103, he says, um, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accused, mm-hmm. accuse, nor will we harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And then he says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, oh, there it is. so yeah. far has he removed our transgressions from us. Mm-hmm. Which is really comforting. I mean, we just talked about, um, you know, God's character here in Deuteronomy and then this reflection in the Psalms mm-hmm. of who he really is. But, you know, if we continue to have this perspective that God is kind of holding on to mm-hmm. this this sin, you know, I think it's, you know, he keeps no record of, of our wrongs and, and the, you know, um, I've actually seen some people repeat their sinful patterns simply because they're reminding themselves of it mm-hmm. because yeah. they're stuck in grief mm-hmm. and they need the gospel to mm-hmm. set them free. Mm-hmm. They need hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not Isaiah. Psalm 103. Yeah, that's what I read. <laughs> <laughs> I think of Galatians 5.1, it's one of my favorite passages that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, and if you, if you think of grief, I'm not sure if this is a, a perfect analogy, but those of us who've gone through grief in our life, it, you never know when it's going to come, right? It's like, you've heard it described as like a feather. It just kind of takes its own course. And so I don't think that it's wrong to grieve over your sin and allow it to, to um, remind you from time to time, like, this is something you've dealt with. This is something you've mm. sinned. That this was a time in your life that you, you know, you wa- you were far from God. But but to name it right and and say this, I'm grieving over that sin. I have moved on from this. I have been forgiven of this. I love that God doesn't keep a record of wrong. Mm-hmm. Like thank goodness. But then but then be able to move on, just like grief would be in any other circumstances. Just I've had a counselor forward. that I work with uh, worked with in the past say it's it's often like a beach. Uh, things wash up on the shore and your beach looks ugly and you have to clean the beach and then you enjoy it for a while and then uh oh things have washed up again <laughs> mm-hmm. and so grief can be that yeah. loss there can be regret and so when you're when things wash up on the shore that remind you of past sins here's how we clean it up we clean it up by rehearsing the gospel yes mm-hmm. i i committed those sins mm-hmm. but they are not a part of who i am and they're not a part of my yeah. future and christ has cared yeah. for me it's a, it's, mm-hmm. It feels different to say I regret something because I, I do have a lot of regrets of things. I wish I could take back it, at the very least one thing that I did, right? Like mm-hmm. Because I know that it hurt people and I know that it caused a wake of sin that spread out, right? But it feels different to say I regret something in my past and uh, I'm ashamed of something in my past. Mm-hmm. And I, I, f- I try to speak openly about a regret I might have and speak about what the consequences that it, you know, but at the same time, you're not held captive by no, it. No, and I don't feel that way, yeah. but I wish I wouldn't have done it. Right. right. Like it's, I still wish that. Right. It's interesting to think about 
those, those sorts of situations where a sin, you've sinned against someone or two people have sinned against each other in that situation and maybe one person is moving on and feeling this freedom in Christ mm-hmm. and the other person, maybe they've been sinned against they, and they're not feeling so much freedom and they're looking at that other person like, well, they've cast me aside. They're not even dealing with the issue. Right. You know, sometimes we get into this situation where the f- freedom we have in Christ, we don't deal with the r- worldly consequences that we've necessarily created, right? And, and having the maturity and the compassion and uh, at times to actually feel free and know you're free in Christ yeah. and yet do the relational work that needs to take place for restitution to happen and, and um, yeah. care for that other person, right? I've read stories about, um, you know, folks who, you know, they come to Christ and they're forgiven and, and they reach back out and, and reach out to people in their past, like pre-Christ yeah, right. to ask for forgiveness. I've often thought like, gosh, should I do that? I don't hmm. know. Well, and there's mixed yeah. reviews. Mm-hmm. It, it, there is. Mm-hmm. There's <laughs> some caution. And that's where I was going to go with right. it. Like sometimes that right. might not be wise. I, I, yeah. I've heard some. Yeah, we could go down that. I'm <laughs> right. sure, Simone, you deal with a lot of this mm-hmm. of there's kind of, sometimes people will, you must forgive your mm-hmm. trafficker. Mm-hmm. You must forgive the person who sinned against you and what that looks like really, right. what the Bible's mm-hmm. calling us to mm-hmm. and how that would look relationally going forward. I mean, there's a lot of, um, not to throw a whole nother mm-hmm. right. layer. layer of forgiveness mm-hmm. and all that into it, but man, those are those are complex situations. Let's not... Just pass over those lightly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. And thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Boom. Prophecy.